So, um, I uh, <laughs> I put out a note about you know the podcast on my Twitter and you know it hit, hit Facebook and all that stuff, and um, someone sent me an email demanding that I pick a better time to do my podcast because it was very difficult for her to listen to them live on the current time schedule. Um, well, first and foremost, no. Even if I could, I wouldn't. This is comfortable for me, and this is what I, it's, I, no. But more importantly, this is actually the only time slot I can do because of the package that I have. I could do, like, oh, let me go there and look, because I, I don't even want to lie about it. Um <clears throat> My options for podcasts are uh, – I need to change the date, obviously. Hold on. So my options for podcasts are from midnight to 5.30 p.m. and then 10 p.m. to midnight. So the hours of 6 through 9.30 are primetime hours, and my um, – uh, my who's he what's it? My package who's he what's it? Did you hear me? <laughs> my package um, doesn't cover those hours because that would be more expensive. It would be almost a thousand dollars a year, um, and I simply can't afford that. Honestly, uh, because finances are a little tight, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to keep doing. Um, podcasts regularly considering how much it already costs so me forking out a thousand dollars a year so I can have my podcast at eight instead of ten when it wouldn't even be convenient for me for one person is a big fat fucking no even if I had the money I wouldn't do it seriously I wouldn't do it um so just no just no um hell no okay how big no. Anyways, so um uh that's that was what I got in um that's that's what I got in my email. Um I you know, I do take donations, so donations are welcome through PayPal. Uh having interest in doing Patreon or, or GoFundMe because that's just not something that I want to do. It seems um um, very demanding, and I try not to uh, do that. Uh, so I just know. Yeah, it's um. Uh, the package includes a whole bunch of other things besides primetime hours. But one of the benefits of that middle of the range package is um, uh, primetime hours, um, and that's where you get the bigger advertising dollars as well. So it, it all evens out, and I imagine it would actually be worth it if I invested more in my podcast than I currently do, but I don't intend to. Because right now, you know, I have unlimited hosting for um, pre-recorded podcasts. I have two hours a day. Um, the only limits I have are those, like I said, from 6 to 10, basically, Um and those aren't really good hours for me anyway. And, I, you know, that's 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. Central, which would, I guess, be um, it'd be two hours less 
Pacific in one hour more Eastern. <clears throat> yeah, two hours for live podcasts, yeah. Um, now, I can upload podcasts um, that are pre-recorded all day long if I want to. I have, I have unlimited storage for that. So if you're interested in doing a podcast and want hosting for that, I'd be happy to host a podcast for you as long as you're not doing something super controversial and terrible. Um, <laughs> like, I don't know, like reading Chan on the air or making fun of people's fan fiction um, for your own amusement. That that would be really uncomfortable um, for me. But if you wanted to do like um, a little podcast, you know, for, for your own amusement and looking for a place to host it, let me know and I'll, I'll, I'll be happy to do that for you. Uh, it's no problem at all. But um, the live podcasts are for me, so you couldn't have those. But you could do pre recorded podcast if you wanted to if you wanted to you know, so uh, anyways <clears throat> what was I saying oh anyways um, you know, so it was just really it, I get demanding emails all the time but that one was like a little bit more, more I was like what really <laughs> Jill, you can do a podcast on practically anything you want. <laughs> I will put it up. <laughs> and also, because of the way um, you can embed uh, audios, you could actually, if you wanted me to host your podcast, um, I could give you a code to embed to your own website. So you could embed, so you could embed your podcast into your website, and it would be hosted um, for you. Um, so, but yeah, if you wanted to do that, and you can do that with any of my podcasts, um, if you want, that would be really helpful because I get um, advertising dollars on um, listens. <clears throat> and it's. Uh, I just, you know, honestly, every time I think fandom couldn't surprise me more, I, I, I get a, a hit. And I know it was fandom because it's, um, I don't have many followers on Twitter or Facebook who aren't fandom. So it isn't like one of my, um, mystery men between the ages of 40 and 60 who listen to me on blog talk for reasons that I really have explored facetiously in the past you dirty old men and um it's uh, it could be but i don't think so because i don't think it's one of them because um yeah if you wanted to do audio um audios of your own fiction um i'd be happy to host those too Absolutely. I know that hosting audio files can be difficult and um I wouldn't I, w- I really would not have a problem doing that for you. It, it would be it would be fun. Um and we could uh you know, it would just be really fun. I'm trying to go through my uh, I'm going to go through my podcast list and kind of rearrange them a little um maybe I don't know. <laughs> But, um, so yeah, listening to my old podcast puts dollars in my pocket, so I appreciate that. Um, uh, and it keeps the show, um, active and on the air, so appreciate it. Um, we are going to have to have a little bit of a funding drive for Rough Trade coming into November because November is always a huge month. 
um, for um, um, the server and um, views and all that stuff. And I share views across uh, many sites. Um, so it, it, it's a little different now because of the way of the, of the hosting package that I've chosen. So um, if if Rough Trade takes too much traffic, it could impact Wild Hair and my site, um, and that would be uh, harsh. <laughs> so there there will be a little bit of a funding drive just to make sure we don't end up um, crashing the whole thing down around our. around our um, ears Um, but it's a much more stable environment than what I had before so I'm really liking that part Um, I I noticed that there are some issues with the Chrome browser um, that I don't experience with any other browser which is really super annoying and I'm not sure if it's a plug-in issue or a hosting issue or Chrome being a bitch I, I, I really don't know so I was curious if anybody else is having loading problems using Chrome or if it's just me it could be just me and that would be um, <laughs> as Anne says she's given up on Chrome it's you know the thing about Chrome that's really bothering me lately is that it's such a resource hog it's a huge resource hog. It takes up so much memory. And when you have a site like Rough Trade that does have um, various plugins running in the background to make, you know, the reading experience good, um, it can time out because of how much memory Chrome is already sucking. It's just really fucking annoying. Anyways, um... But I don't like Edge, and I don't like Firefox, and so I'm kind of screwed. I used to like Firefox, and then it got to be a problem. But that's not what that pocket this podcast is about. But I just did want to keep you in um, in the loop about um, funding for Rough Trade, since we're moving into National Novel Writing Month. Um, I have the hosting part paid for uh, through the end of the year, but there could be um, issues with views um, because uh, last year we went over a million views um, for Rough Trade um, during November because we were posting every day and people were coming there every day and there were 50 or 60 people participating and so yeah it got pretty hectic <laughs> so um, <clears throat> Firefox used to be awesome it used to be super awesome I, I'm going to take that Freudian slip and and just go with it, Zan. I'm just going to go with it. Sure, you meant ducks. Sure. I think dicks is better because that implies the people who don't use their views or don't donate are dicks. <laughs> oh, my God. That reminds me. Reddit is my new fandom, which is terrible, right? Reddit is my new fandom. Um, I've been up in these relationship forums reading people's problems, and it's just terrible. But one th- oh god, this it's really cracked me up. I'm going to share it with you, and then we'll get into the topic for the evening. Um, <clears throat> so, 
Okay, this this woman is telling a story about her mom who hates her husband. Her mother hates her husband like nobody's business. And she's all the time telling the whole family that um, that he's terrible and he's no good for her and he's a bad father and he's a bad provider. I mean, this it's just ridiculous the, the links this woman goes to to badmouth her son-in-law. So recently... Or she told the story recently where her mom accused the son-in-law of dickmatizing her daughter. <laughs> dickmatizing. <laughs> ah. Is that like pussy whipped, but not sizing? I can't wait to fucking use it in something. I'm so excited. <laughs> he must be swinging it like Thor. He really must. <laughs> of course he did. Of course. Of course. <laughs> that's penis magic though that's different <laughs> dickmatizing oh, it was fantastic I fucking loved it anyway so that's my new fandom um, and I read all these and I'm thinking to myself oh my god my family's so normal I don't even think we qualify for Jerry Springer anymore compared It's just an amazing word, dickmatize. I'm I'm just really excited about it. <laughs> I can see it kind of coming out of McKay's mouth. <laughs> Reddit. Yeah, I've been reading subreddits like on mother-in-laws and raised by narcissists and um, uh, terrible husbands and just no family. It's terrible. <laughs> it's actually on Wiktionary. <laughs> That's hilarious. Digmatized. <laughs> Impressed by or obsessed with a penis. Slang. Vulgar. Digmatized. That is fucking amazing. It is so awesome. I've totally earned my R rating for the evening. So there we go. <clears throat> Dickmatized, verb or noun, when a dick makes you say or do crazy things. <laughs> Just see McKay saying it. It would be so great. <sighs> Anyways, it's terrible. And I definitely should stop going to Reddit. Um, I've, I've currently got one, two, three, five tabs open that are on Reddit. Um, and... It's a problem. I should not go over there. Um, but then I would miss out on things like digmatized. <laughs> I probably do need an intervention. <clears throat> I was thinking about... Um, oh, you know what? Before I do that, I'd like to point out to you... Um, that um, not to you specifically as any particular person who's currently on the chat room or is currently listening. This just in general, you audience. Um, that it is profoundly rude to take inspiration from the show and 
not give credit for your idea that you got from me or a guest. Really? That it's just really fucking rude. I, you, And also, it's also super rude to take somebody else's idea that you heard about and write it before they ever get a chance to. Because what happens is, if I see somebody take my idea and write it before I've had an opportunity to write it, I'm never going to write it. Done. If I had any ideas coming out of... um, Dead air variations, and someone hopped on it and wrote it. I'm I'm never going to write that idea. In fact, I probably won't write any of the ideas associated with that podcast because it's so infuriating and insulting to um, seriously. It's really. Fandom, there, there, there isn't a lot of um, uniqueness in fandom. So when you do something that you think is pretty cool and you know, pretty interesting and a different take on um, a situation or a trope or, or whatever, and you talk about it in a public setting like the podcast, and then someone comes behind you and um, does a little writes it before you get a chance to, it's just really disheartening and, and terrible. It's, it's, um, I don't, it's ugly behavior. It It is really ugly, ugly, ugly behavior. And, um, just don't. Oh yeah, more than one person. Definitely more than one person. Um, it, I would never ask you not to be inspired by something you hear on the podcast because, frankly, there is nothing more inspiring to me than other writers. And when you're engaged in a conversation like what happens between me and Lady Holder or me and um, Jilly going through plot drifts and stuff like that and hammering out ideas and, and going through ramifications and, and consequences of ideas and thoughts, it it's going to spurn you. It's it's going to inspire you. But what's not okay is for you to take that inspiration and not give credit. Or worse, and I've seen this too, um, to someone to take an idea that obviously came from such and such, and then go out of their way in their author notes to make it seem like it isn't true. You know, I actually had someone... um, Okay, okay. You can tell that story on the air if you want to, Jilly. Because uh, I... Yeah, hold on. Do you want to do it? 
In the middle? In the middle? Start in the middle? <laughs> no, no. No, your number. In the middle. Oh, yes, in the middle. That's me. I'm I'm, I'm the middle. <laughs> I'm the cream in the Oreo. Um, no, I um I had talked about uh, an idea that uh, what I was planning to write for Rough Trade, um, pre-podcast, um, and pre pre-challenge, and unbeknownst to me, someone had picked up some of the ideas that I um had, had talked about and implemented them in a story about around the time Rough Trade started, but probably right 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 around the start of Rough Trade, but the t- discussion on the podcast happened a couple months prior to that um and i didn't know about the story until i got a comment from somebody that oh this was just like what they had read another story and that why you know i should give that person credit for you know taking the inspiration from them and i was like what huh so first i had to go look up this other story find out when it was published and then go find the podcast where i had talked about that and find it back i said you know i said hey you know I discussed this idea at least two months before this other person even started posting. So um, if you want to yell at somebody about not giving inspiration credit, maybe you should go yell at them. Because, I mean, yes, I've seen ideas, um, similar ideas develop organically completely separately almost at the same time. We had a weird example Mm -hmm. of that recently um, where – post-podcast, like two people in some fashion contacted Kira within hours of each other with the same idea about something. In some fashion, it crossed mm-hmm. Kira's desk. Um, and they, they had to have been thinking about it at the same time because um, there was no way they could know about what each other was doing. And um, so, I mean, that does happen. But there were some things that were very specific um, to, to that story that were unusual, and it was a little bit head-tilting. And so the other person reasonably thought that I had lifted this other author's ideas because my story was being posted after theirs. Um, But since I had publicly, I mean, that is one advantage of publicly discussing it, is that at least I can, you know, when this happens. But if I had seen that story, it would have been disheartening going into Rough Trade to write something that somebody else had already pulled the ideas on. And I can't even be too specific about what the trope was because it's something that, to my knowledge, only exists in those two stories, so um, mine and theirs. So it it was just it was just really frustrating to be basically accused because I I have no problem giving people inspiration credit at all because I mean fandom is about being inspired by somebody else's creative vision. That's all fandom is, and so the so the fact that fan fiction authors are so allergic to, to some authors are so allergic to admitting that they were inspired by someone else's story or someone else's comments or someone else's brainstorming um, is really, it's really weird to me since that's what fandom is about. It's, what, it's, it's the basis of it. It's, it's how it came to be with taking inspiration from somebody else's creative, um, basically intellectual property. So, I just I find it bizarre that and, it, and there's a difference between being inspired by something that you hear and going off and taking your own take on it, and just lifting somebody else's idea wholesale and plugging it into your story, especially before they've had a chance to write it. 
Um, but if they've had a chance to write it and you take the idea, you just then say, you know, I, this this was totally, you know, inspired by this other person's work, and you just acknowledge it, and then nobody's getting emails. And I'm not mad. I'm flattered usually if somebody else is inspired by my work as long as they're not plagiarizing me. I don't get it either. I I, I don't. But I also don't get um, someone taking your idea and rushing to publish it ahead of you. Yeah, that's really ugly. That's really ugly. Especially if I'm talking about a rough trade challenge where I I can't, you know, there's, there's a definitive date on when I can start that challenge, start start writing that. Um, yeah, so it's it's a it's a it's a weird thing that people do that, especially since you know tangential to what Kira's podcast topic is. One of the things I try to do is find different ways to spin a trope, and to not tell it the same way I've seen it told before, or try to do something different with it. Um, and usually, it's because I like a trope. You know, I like what's been done, and I want to find my own way of interpreting it. So it's very disheartening when I discuss what I'm going to do or what I've been inspired by or brainstorm with Kira or whatever, or even talk on my Facebook page about it, and then someone else, next thing I know, you know, super quick sometimes, um, something with that same idea is posted. Or they slap-shot it into their work in progress, and it doesn't even fit. Yeah, exactly. I think the fastest turnaround I've seen is 24 hours on something. Um, (laughs) Like a day later. I was like, whoa. Um, And then, then, you know, there would be, like, the comments of, like, oh, well, I I, clearly I had this in works. I'm like, anybody can write 2,000 words or 4,000 words in a day. So come on. Stop, you know. I mean, like I said, it's possible. It's just, I mean, yes, I really do believe that things can develop similarly um, in two separate brains. But the coincidence just looks weird, which is one of the reasons why, you know, um, the number of times it happens, especially sometimes with some some authors more than more than one time, it's just the coinc- it starts to, you know, pass beyond coincidence. What's that saying? Once is happenstance, twice is coincidence, three times is a pattern. <laughs> I'm up to more than pattern with some people. <laughs> so. And for some people, it's like a hobby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it, it's like, you know, coincidence, <sighs> hobby. Enemy action. <laughs> it's just, it's really, um, it's a, it's a frustrating experience to have. Um, I was also recently, um, uh, there was a, there was a story on Rough Trade, um, still on Rough Trade, um, for July, um, and it's got a female McKay in it, and I've been hit four or five times. Um, 
with comparisons to my whole my coffee series um, with this particular story on Rough Trade, and one person came out and said I should have at least given the author credit for. <laughs> I started to hold my coffee five months ago. <laughs> five months. Yeah. And there are a whole bunch of female McKay stories, um, some set in Area 51, some set on Atlantis, um, some set in in in, uh, in the mountain. Um, it's, it's not a new concept at all. Um, but apparently, I haven't read the story on Rough Trade um, because there's a warning on it that um, hits me. Um, so I won't be reading it because of that particular warning, not because of anything else. Um, but, uh, it, it's really disturbing to be accused of, of, you know, honestly, because I invest so much in rough trade, it's actually more insulting to be accused of absconding with somebody's idea off rough trade. Yeah, really. Than any other place. But, you know, the funny thing is I've noticed that with you, um, this, this is more so with you than most authors I've, I've, I've encountered, prolific authors that I've encountered, um, is your readers tend to, not all, but there's extremes, okay? There's the, the, you, you have your own version of the left and the right, and... Um, and then most of you fall in the middle. Most of them fall in the middle. But on the extremes is there's the people who think that you invented everything, and then there's the people <laughs> who are looking looking to improve that you would prove that you invented nothing. So yeah. So the, the one side of the, the the side that think that you invented everything are the ones out there contacting people and telling them you're ripping cure off. You need to stop. <laughs> um, and the other side are the people contacting you, ask, tell, telling you you're ripping people off and you need to stop. Um, and really, both of you guys, both groups need to shut the fuck up. <laughs> I don't know what's actually more um, irritating on, on on that particular balance beam. Um, it probably depends on the day. <laughs> right? Uh, but... I one of the more interesting things is when I got really interested in The Hobbit and I was talking about writing Cabbage Patch Babies because I think that's just the most adorable thing ever. I got four or five links of people already doing it. Like, bitches, I know. I read those stories. That's why I'm inspired. <laughs> the implication I got out of it was, oh, you do that. Here, um, um, here are a whole bunch of them, so we don't need yours. Yeah, that kind of does feel that way. Either that, or you know, just just so you know that this has already been done, or maybe they're trying to tell you it's not original, or maybe they want you to know what's already been done so you can avoid it. It's like, what is the point of this? I mean, that's like that conversation I have with somebody I was asking for, you know, help with a plot, and instead of giving me help with the plot, they gave me every story that's ever done that. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa! <laughs> I haven't read any of that shit. <laughs> But now I can't use any of those ideas, even if I felt like, I mean, one of the ideas she had mentioned was something I was, was close enough to something I was considering 
that I just had to throw it out because it's like I felt like my brain got tainted. <laughs> Don't do that. Right, right. And it makes you wonder if that's how she plots her work. Yeah. Like she cherry, cherry picks elements from other people's works. Yeah, and you can't, I mean, I can't help that when I write, um, depending upon what I'm writing or what fandom, there are authors who've who've written in that genre, fandom, story, whatever it is that I'm inspired by. They're specifically, um, like when I write NCIS, I can't help that, like, I, you know, I'm my Lady Ra is my favorite NCIS writer. I can't help that. I mean, I try very carefully not to borrow anything from her, but I can't help that I'm inspired by her as a writer and how she writes Tony and how she, you know, I just I find her her stories inspiring. So I try to, you know, I don't like sit down and I try I don't if I'm if there's something specific that I recognize in my work that is. Um, Similar to something she's written, I mean, I I can't. There's 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 like a ninety percent chance that the inspiration for that came from something of hers I read, and I would just flat out own that. I mean, I just can't help. Like when I'm writing um, Harry Potter, um, um, I find Kira's writing very inspiring in terms of how she characterizes Harry and um, her interpretation of the magical world. So it's very difficult um, with authors that you're really engaged with to completely separate your inspiration from them or know that your inspiration is because it's just so impossible for me to separate inspiration from what I read. But there's a difference between being inspired by how people, um, authors you love, and lifting their ideas wholesale and using them without crediting them. I don't think there's like any Harry Potter story that I've worked with. I know in Slytherin Black that I I might as well just have like a page of author notes. Um, I think I started with that, with that way with a page of author notes practically with all of the ideas specifically that were inspired by your works. And then I finally just deleted it all. And said, There's so much here that's inspired by Kira that, you know, there's just not even point in listing it. Um, One of my favorite pieces um, of, of, of magic that, um, that I use in Harry Potter is the dimensional store. I love mm-hmm. it. Yeah. I fucking love the little bracelet thing. I put it in everything. I I, I think it's awesome. It's it's my favorite piece of um, magic. Um, I mean, I've seen dimensional stores in books. I've seen miniaturized trunks put on a necklace um, in stories. I mean, you've seen it in a lot of different versions of the dimensional store called different things. Um, but mm-hmm. I hadn't I hadn't read the bracelet until. Um, I read your stories. I don't know that, that there isn't something else else out there. And please, folks, if there is something that predates Kira's story, please don't feel like you need to point it out to me. I don't care. Because the point is not what existed first. The point is where I was inspired by it. And that was in reading Kira's work. So um, when I was writing Slytherin Black, I was trying to come up with a different type of dimensional story, but nothing made sense. Because what storing your wand in a book, how does that make sense? You know, I just... And I wanted a dimensional store that dealt with wands. So the bracelet makes so much sense from a wand store's perspective. As if I just wrote her, I was like, can I use your dimensional bracelet (laughs) in my story? Everybody everybody can use it. Everybody can use it. And then instead Uh, of just saying, yes, she outlined um, a different kind of dimensional store, 
um, with different attributes that she had been planning, and did I want to use that instead? And I was like, holy crap, that's so nice. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that you originally wanted to use the trunk um, bracelet that he had in Harry um, Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond, which is basically a shrunken, transfigured trunk. Um, But I redesigned it for... um, I forget what I redesigned it for. So, anyways, <laughs> you redesigned it. You called them. You told me you called, had named them war bracelets, and you yeah. And I said there's a couple things I need to tweak to make it fit. You said tweak what I needed to, and I just put it in my author notes that she'd let me use that. I was using it with permission. And moved on. And I think most authors, when it comes to... Now, some authors are um, sort of weird. Like, if there's any idea that looks like anything I ever did, you better not touch it. And then I kind of, with those authors, I kind of want to go point out... I sort of want to go point out everything in their work that looks like something else. Um, That's just because I'm contrary. Um, But most authors, you know... It's it's we've talked about you can't own an idea, um, but you can really be offended if somebody doesn't acknowledge that you're the one who came up with it. So um, it's just good manners. We were talking. It, <clears throat> we were talking about uh, was two weeks ago. We were talking about Revenant and how um, I think that's probably um, one of the few ideas that I've had in fandom that has the potential to be a trope. Mhm. And I don't know. Um, it's it's weird because when you look at uh, tropes like uh, the, the Sentinel crossover and um, ABO and you know uh, Independent Harry, you know alternate reality shifters and everything, um, these kinds of tropes that kind of travel through fandom, I never really thought um, about the origins of those tropes and where they come from and. Um, so it's interesting. I don't know if I want to be the mother of a trope. I don't know if it actually is trope potential. I don't know. I mean, I'd much rather be the mother of dragons. (laughs) 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 One's going to make a choice. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, is it, is it, um, is it, uh, because someone else called it, um, a, a little black dress, and I was like, "Really? Is is, is that gonna be a thing? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it's a thing. Is it arrogant to assume it might be a thing? I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Um, I'm really fascinated by the idea of it, and um, and the the implications for humanity, the idea of in, of eternal spirits, um, kind of traveling through time." with humanity as they grew and developed and went from, you know, riding horses to being on the moon. That's just, it's, it's fascinating. Just the whole idea of it. Um, one of the more insulting things that I encountered when I was riding Revenant really, really upset. And I don't know why it just really flew all over me was people kept asking me for the source material. Like yeah, they couldn't believe from? it was my idea. <laughs> like, like there, like there wasn't, like it, 
they didn't understand that it was mine that I that I hadn't borrowed it from some fandom or or something. It was mine. And if there's something out there similar to it, I don't know what it is. So there that is the source material right there on Rough Trade. <laughs> That's it. I don't I don't know where that was coming from. It it was both confusing and kind of insulting. Yeah, it is. That's just pretty strange. Um, that I mean, it, I think the the they didn't occur to people that it was just originally created, um, which is a little bit. Because I mean, you're very creative, so that's a little bit weird. But there is that. Um, I think part of it comes from that impatient. I want more. Um, thing happening in fandom, which is, where can I find more of this? Where can I find, you know, I want to go read everything in this fandom. Um, and some people latch on to concepts or AUs or fandoms. They want to go read everything that character's ever been in. And um, and then you have to go, you know, I got that once on a couple of original characters, and they say, what, what fandom do these characters come from? And I said, well, they're original characters. And we were really disappointed that they couldn't go find the fandom and read about those characters, which is a good mark of the characterization that people like them. But um, I think there is an assumption that happens where people, that everything in these stories is fandom-derived and that they can go find more to read. So I do think that there is a little bit of that avaricious I want I want more going on. I don't, you know, the thing is, is I have a whole page of my website dedicated to permissions, and I was told once that that page was arrogant, but that page gave, that page became, because people kept emailing me and asked me if they could use my ideas, and I'm like, yes, yeah, stop it, I don't want to hear about this. Why <laughs> is it arrogant? <laughs> I don't know, but she's like, she just told me it was arrogant. <clears throat> But she, um, she, and I was, she, like, going well. It's arrogant to assume people would want your right to want I to write so. your stuff, or is it? Yeah. Or she thinking it's arrogant to think that anybody needs your permission? Sure. I don't know. It's terrible. But the thing is, that you but you people had kept asking why you were me. doing it. But people kept asking me, um, and the only reason she knew about the page is because she had emailed me and asked me. And so I sent her the page. <laughs> I didn't want to write a fucking email. And apparently sending her a link to that page was, was terrible. <laughs> I don't care if somebody uses my ideas. And I don't... Um, honestly, it, it, it's insulting not to give um, credit for an idea when, when you're inspired by somebody. But if my if it's already published on my site, I don't care so much as if you took something from my plot drift or something from the podcast and wrote it before I could. I find that super fucking insulting. I, yeah. I don't even know what to do with it. It's just it's just a it's just it, it's a special level of fresh hell. I, I don't even what yeah. is that? I don't even. It's it's, all it's my being what? late to your what? It's being late to your own party. It's very frustrating. It's very frustrating. It's like when... getting to your birthday party and all your guests ate your cake. <laughs> Or that somebody else, you know, came in and blew out your candles. It's like, what the <laughs> hell, dude? That was my cake. 
But, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in seeing what other people do with the idea of the Revenant. But I'm also very leery of some of the of the abuses that could appear in the concept. Because I do look at consequences and um and various scenarios in, in um in the Revenant lore, um and I I see potential for things to be abused and I know that there's a segment of fandom who isn't happy unless they're abusing their characters. Yeah, they they blew out the candles, ate the cake, and opened your presents. <laughs> yeah. You didn't even and need to then, come. And then somebody looks at you and goes, were you invited to this party? <laughs> You're like, wait a minute. <laughs> that was my name on the cake that you all ate. Then they act like it's your fault. Yeah. Well, you've been on time. Well, and then you're like, I you were late. Your own my party. birthday and not hers. <laughs> like, did you forge that? Oh, fuck you. <laughs> it's just a thing. It's just a terrible thing. But you know, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm not. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's arrogant or not to assume that that on um, the revenant thing might turn into a trope. I don't know if it's arrogant or not. Um, and it didn't even occur to me until someone else said it. And I was like, really? Is, is, is that going to be a thing? I don't know how I feel about it. I mean, I don't care about my ideas being, you know, explored. Um, but I don't want to see a slave AU of my revenant. <laughs> I mean, that's the hard thing, you know, is that if, I mean, if you have, um, I I know that people like because there was a thing. Um, um, it was a big thing in the Magnet Seven Eight um, fandom to have AUs that people would define the boundaries for because the first AU took off like gangbusters, and so people would define their own AUs. And um, one of the main sites for Magnificent Seven, you can sort by which AU, which of the open AUs the person wrote in, because and there were so many. There was like I guess twenty. AU's popular enough to index by them. And um, each person, um, yeah, Mag7 ATF was the big one. And uh, Mog, Mog who created it, got, it, it was, I believe it was just a short story on the ATF AU, um, you know, got so many requests about can I, can I write in this AU that she just, you know, defined some um, outline, defined some boundaries for what, the the AU looked like, and then hands off of it kind of thing. And I I imagine she didn't look at what anybody did with that because there's some crazy crap in that because it's such it's such a much bigger fandom than even the original fandom. But one of the things about these AUs is I think because people were writing stuff that sometimes the creators of the AUs didn't like, is people started trying to get very specific with their AUs, and as a result, those AUs never took off. So it's kind of um. It's one of those weird things, you know. It's like, um, I don't know. It's like, it, it, I, it's like one of those things. I don't think you can open it up until it's done being your idea, baby, <laughs> because people are going to do bad things to it, <laughs> and not good bad things, terrible yes, bad things, no good terrible bad things. Bad things. 
Well, you know, I had this. I I hadn't occurred to me I needed a permissions page on my site when I first launched it, but I was getting so much contact about can people write um, in emergence, and I was just kind of like, yeah, um, but I wasn't very specific about what they could do, and um, I assumed people meant they would write their own story. You know, they go off and do their own thing. And I said, you know, but if you want me to consider it canon, we'd have to collaborate about what you'd be writing and what pairing and stuff. And But otherwise, yeah, go do what you want. Um, and I, I, a lack of specificity resulted in somebody <laughs> rewriting from a point. From a point. Oh, like, God, I had that happen to me on Ties That Bind. So they took it to a, they kept the story the same to a point and then started rewriting it, and I was like, whoa, 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 um, what are you doing? What are you doing? I had no idea that's what they meant when I can I write in your AU. I didn't know what they meant. Can I take some scenes and reconstruct them in a way that I find more agreeable than what you actually wrote? And it was. Can I take your work and bastardize it and make it my own and plagiarize the shit out of you um, because you didn't do what I wanted in your story? Right. Basically. So it was. So that's when I decided that I needed to clarify what I meant by um, permission. And um, I. Uh, I actually asked you if I could just steal your permissions page. Most of it, I didn't steal it entirely, but most of it, you know, it says right on there. I took this from yeah. Sarah. Um, because <laughs> I just feel like I needed to clarify what I meant by people could use my ideas or characters or whatever. Um, and some people, I've probably had, I would say easily 50 times as many people contact me about writing an emergence than I know actually began to do it. Um, although I, every once in a while I stumble across somebody writing in the verse that I didn't know about, which is fine. I mean, I have this blanket permission for them to do it um, as long as they don't say they're connected to mine. The problem is is that some people don't even mention me at all. And then I start getting contacted. Um, one person, there's stuff I haven't revealed about what's going on with the Omegas in the story. Um, and uh, pe- people are trying to resolve that without writing me and asking me what's going on in the story, what it, what's the world building. And so they're trying to resolve um, stuff so they can write. And then people think that that's the canon, <laughs> this other story out there that I didn't even know about. And I, because somebody had made a bad assumption about something in the story, they made a comment about it. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? And I said, oh, well, I read this thing in this other story and I was, and allow me to reiterate, what the fuck are you talking about? And somebody had made a, a leap about what this meant, and they were completely wrong, and people were assuming that that's what I had instructed this person to do. But oh, I didn't even I'm know so this story exists. <laughs> I didn't even know it existed. I'd never heard from this person. Um, they didn't credit me in any way as the creator of the universe, nothing. Which was, you know, I, I I was like, I was like, new. No. All I just said, you know, it wasn't, I actually wasn't even all that bent out of shape because it, it was such a better experience than the person who actually literally rewrote my story. Um, but I wasn't even that bent out of shape. I just responded and said, none of that has anything to do with my story. You, you can't assume any of that is factual. So it was just such a strange thing. I had thing. somebody take, 
and copy and paste um, ties that bind into a document and edit to suit themselves and then tell me they wrote a, what you call it when you switch it around? Remix? Yes. They called it a remix. Except it wasn't. It was just my work edited to suit themselves. No, not that Zan. No. Um, if the funny thing about um, the remixes that I've noticed is when remixing happens, um, it usually is to include rape of some kind. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it did, and physical abuse. Um, I stopped reading at the scene where you know in in the original ties at Bind Carter. Um, uh, corners McKay in his lab after he's collared and she gets in a lot of trouble for it. Well, in this remix, um, she beats him. She starts hitting him and he doesn't defend himself. Um, and I stop reading. <laughs> the thing is, is the person who wrote it and sent it to me never sent me another email asking me what I thought. And that's when I realized they did it on purpose to hurt me. They did it on purpose. They took my baby, my word baby, and corrupted it and made it abusive and ugly and sent it to me. To insult me, and they never respond. They never sent me another email because I didn't respond. Maybe the way they wanted me to. I don't know. I don't know. It's just strange. It does seem like because they just dropped it on you like a dead cat on your doorstep that. It was intended to be, you know, hurtful and mean. I never yeah. followed. They, they like never a, followed like a package up. Bomb. They never asked me what I thought. Like, like if you sent me something to read, wouldn't you want my opinion? Yes, I would. They never did. They never asked me what I thought because they knew in advance what I thought. But I swear to God, if that shit ever hits the internet, I'm gonna fucking lose my mind. I just let you know. People accuse me all the time of sticking my minions on people, but I don't, but I will. <laughs> yeah. It'll be on. <laughs> but I, I've run into this remixing scenario several times in fandom, both with my own work, with other people's work, and the 99% of the time when someone is remixing someone's work, they're adding in abuse elements. And it's just, it's so insulting when someone, not only do they, not only do they, um, they do this about talking to you, but they add, they take your work and add stuff that you are opposed to. Oh, terrible. I, you know, um, there is an, there is an element to this person's work that is always ugly. And this isn't some no-name in the Stargate fandom, by the way. 
Um, it's a pretty big name. I see the name ballot around a lot um, in um, among the minions when they're um, recommending Fick to read. Inevitably, that name pops right up into the list. Um, and I've often wondered, um, the thing about Ties at Bond that I'm really super proud of is how intimate it is and how romantic it is. Um, for me, I, it, it's, you know, the, uh, the, the, the BDSM elements are there, but it's very... Um, I meant to draw a very intimate portrait of submission and masochism, and this person took it and stripped all that intimacy out and made it abusive and ugly and mean and terrible. And I, and I only read what fifteen thousand words of it before I closed it. Maybe less, because I cut out a lot of the scenes to, to insert ugliness that's terrible a remix is supposed to be if it had been a genuine remix of Ties That Bind McKay would have been the dom and John would have been the submissive their roles would have been would have been reversed in that particular um, instance, and um, the rest of the plot would have had to have been adjusted to to accommodate that role reversal. Um, I honestly don't see remixes done very well in fandom often. Um, they happen, um, and I don't approve of them genuinely because mostly they're just plagiarism with the names changed. definitely write Rodney as a dom. I'm not sure I could write John as a submissive. He's not very good at uh, uh, obeying people. (laughs) (laughs) Even in canon, he's not particularly good at following orders. (laughs) I just don't know if that could happen. (laughs) I hope more like um, he'd be punished a lot. (laughs) Yeah, the idea behind remixing is that you take the original and you, you... Cut, splice, do something um, that creates something new out of something familiar. Um, it's supposed to just add new elements, use existing elements. Um, you see remixing mostly in music. I mean, we've all heard um, songs that have elements of... Um, there's a lot of remixing with... Um, um, there was that rap song that they remixed with an Aerosmith song. So it was adding rap elements into into an Aerosmith song. Walk This Way, that was a remix. Under um, Pressure is another one. Yeah, Under Pressure, Ice Ice Baby. Um, Bruno Mars does a lot of remixing. Yeah, so remixing, you see, we all have heard music in it. So how that applies in... Um, in fan fiction, it it's a little bit it's a little bit hit and miss. Um, I don't I don't I can't think of a remix of a fan fiction that I thought was a proper remix. So a lot of times it just comes off as plagiarism. And right. There was a, a um, 
there was a duo of fix that were written to be remixed together. They were written by um, um, two author friends in fandom. It's a vampire AU, and in one version, John's the vampire, and in the other version, Rodney is the vampire. Um, and uh, it's very good. They was, but they were written in concert together, um, not as you know, a separate entity, so to speak. Yeah. Because one's told entirely from John's point of view, and one's told entirely from Rodney's point of view. Um, like, and they're different. So, like, in the one where John's the vampire, it's in Rodney's point of view, and the one where Rodney's the pan- vampire, um, it's in his point of view. It, 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 it's, it's very different. It's the same story, the same events, different perspective different characters and it's just really interesting it's really interesting and I can I could not tell you who wrote them if my life depended on it I'm sorry <laughs> it was a long time ago I can't I can't remember it but it might have been part of um, McShep match maybe at one point there, yeah, there, there used, yeah, you're right, Zan. There used to be a, a remix journal. On it. That, that might have been it on, on Live Journal. Hmm. It was very interesting. But um, as a rule, I find remixes offensive as fuck because of what happened to me and Ties That Bind. Um, um, it's just, no. <laughs> and, like, if, if you're going to, I actually think remixes are so invasive to the original product the original story, because you really, usually a remix, you are using big pieces, like big chunks. You should be using big chunks of the source material if you're remixing, um, which, so it does, mm-hmm. it does edge into plagiarism if you're doing without permission. Um, I, I can't think of a reason why I would ever give anybody permission to remix one of my stories, um, but I, I could... <laughs> I mean, I, I can actually think of a couple scenarios of a couple of authors that I would, if they wanted to remix it um, in, a, in something where they're adding a bunch of new elements um, and use these pieces, and it was very clearly defined what was going on. But, you know, I still think it's something that you'd, I, I would think this author should, original author should give permission for that first. Um, because, I mean, if you use, even in music, if you use even too many bars of a song when you're remixing without permission, you can get sued. So you really have to have, like in, in, in music and in movies and stuff, if you're remixing somebody's thing, you really have to get permission if you're going to do something with it. And so there's this, I think because fandom is, um, you know, based upon where I'm not going to make any money on it, the fair use thing, we're not making money, people assume they don't have to get permission to go out and do a remix. And it's, and I guess literally that's true, but it's just so close to plagiarism that um, I think that it could get you kicked off of a site for doing it without permission. It should. It should. Um, I would. I would never, ever, ask to remix, um, her work or Lady Holder's work or Azure's work or Senna's work, um, because that is an intimacy issue, and that is a friendship ruiner. And and when when you're writing, um, it's, it's a very intimate process to begin with. But for me to say, hey, hey, Julie, can I have emergence? I'm going to remix it. 
you can't do that with an author you're close to. It would have to be an author you trusted and respected that you weren't personally close to. Because that way, when they screwed it up, <laughs> you wouldn't ruin your friendship. Inevitably, she'd be reading it and she'd thinking, why'd she change this? Did she hate it in my original story? Why didn't she tell me? Oh, my God. <laughs> why'd she change this? Why'd she change that? It's it's uh yeah that 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 would be um that would be so so bad. I you know the truth is yeah um and Lady Holder and I um had problems writing together um more from me but than her because of my um my issues with with plotting and um my OCD um and I just couldn't handle it and so I had to make a choice between you know my friendship and the story <laughs> Yeah, sometimes you have to I mean, I've I've co-written quite a few times and sometimes it works out you have really good synergy with somebody and it works out and you probably could write with that person a lot not that co-writing is easy ever, so it's not really something I would want to do all the time. Um, and then sometimes it's just like every word is a fight. And it's it's just like, no, no. I had negotiated co-writing. We were, we were in negotiation phases on co-writing a story with somebody once. This was many, many moons ago. And she was, I don't mind a level of control freak about the plotting process and making sure we're on the same page. I don't mind that at all. But there was a level of control that she wanted to exert that made me more, instead of a co-writer, it was putting me more in the role of ghostwriter um, with her um, part-time, part-time ghostwriter, with her having the ability to um, veto anything I wrote. But I'm making the no that, baby face over here. It's it's, it's all and, and, no but she, baby. But she didn't want that ex, any of that ex, extended to her. And literally, that's the way she wrote it, that she would be able to veto anything that I wrote, but that I would have to accept all of her decisions. And it, I was like, well, I don't think I'm going to like backed out <laughs> of it. Bird. And I was like, double, you know. double bird. And you she need to borrow my birds for that? You can be quadruple bird. I, I sprayed my own fingers, you know, but it's like, she considered herself a big name fan and uh, thought that I guess I should be privileged to um, write with her. I guess was this should be willing your to. Your original fandom experience, or was this recently? Original, original. Okay. So it was. Uh, you can have Tim's fingers too, so that's six. You got six bird fingers now. <laughs> but someone said up in the chat room that it would be hard if they're both established writers. I, accomplished writers, I actually disagree. Yeah, um, I disagree too. Um, the more comfortable you are in your craft, the easier it is to um, include somebody. The reason that Lady and Holder and I didn't work, didn't mesh, is because she's a pantser and I'm a plotter. And it was a no. Sh- it was an. It, it was honestly really a no go from the start. But we were both really excited about the idea and tried anyway. But she's just all over the place, and I can't handle her. <laughs> her mind just. She just blows her plot up like in, in front of her, and it just. It just. 
big expanding. I kind of view her brain like the Rodney multiplex. <laughs> <laughs> She's got a tree. I've got a sword. <laughs> and you know, Does that make sense? With, She's all branched back, out and I'm straightforward. You know. With, back when I was doing um, experiments with co-writing, um, I I like I wouldn't I didn't know because I was I was more I I always thought of myself as I did a lot of pantsing back then but I never my pantsing wasn't wasn't apparently like some some people's pantsing um, I mean I could sit down and pant something just to see where it was going but when I was writing with somebody else I wanted a plan I wanted a plot and so the person that I meshed really well with was someone who would sit down and define the plot where we were going, at least the direction. So we were working towards the same goal. Um, and the person that I could not gel with was just, I was like, where did, well, there weren't any, when did we discuss aliens? Why are there aliens in his living room right now? I don't understand. It was just, it seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> I was like, what are you doing? And I'm not kidding about the aliens. I mean, there wasn't supposed to be any aliens in this story. We had discussed, even though it was X Files, we had discussed a short story with a very um, defined arc, and then all of a sudden, I get it back, and there's aliens in the living room. And I was like, "What? <laughs> what? What? Why is there a bounty hunter in the living room right now? We didn't discuss that." <laughs> People die. <laughs> aliens land. But you know, so and it really and it. We never argued or had a conflict over it. I just stalled out and couldn't write on it. And finally, I just admitted to her that I could not do it. I, 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 I can't do this. So you can, you can have this story. This is have it. Thank you. <laughs> I look forward to reading it when you're done. <laughs> and I do. I do genuinely look forward to reading it whenever she finishes it. I honestly do, um, uh, because it, it's, it's, not, it's a matter of writing style. Um, I think that if you um, have a situation where one person is a very accomplished writer and you have a newbie in a situation, you are setting yourself up to either be abused or to inadvertently abuse the other writer without even trying. Um, I have a very strong personality. Um, I have to be very careful when I mentor new authors um, in um in, in various settings because I can shape them in ways that I don't need to. Um, I, I have a lot of personality. You might, you, you might have noticed. Um, and that can, um, lead to situations where, um, I have had in the past, um, <laughs> pervert. Um, I've had situations in the past where I've had, I, I have, um, basically essentially made a clone of myself as a writer. I've made a little writer clone and I was like, Oh, that's not what I intended to do at all. <laughs> now what do I do with her? <laughs> Branch out. <laughs> Take a bath. <laughs> Wash that off. I didn't mean for that to happen, but it did. And she's still that way to this day. <laughs> no, no, no. So, um, but Lady Holder also has a great deal of personality, and she's got a very strong character. And um, if she it if she didn't, I'd run all over her, and that wouldn't be much of a friendship at all. Um, so, but I think that when if you're going to be in a, rela- a writing relationship with another writer, you number one, you need to make sure your process is mesh. Um, yeah. And two, 
you need to be um, both of a very hardy personality. Otherwise, it ends up in a situation where um, you... Um, it's, just, it's just not a great situation to be in if you're not equal. Or, and if you don't have the same um, goal... Um, mm-hmm. For instance, I um, I would I, and I've had this experience before, so I'm not like pointing at anybody in particular. But I have had this experience of trying to do round robins with one person in the round robin who was a crack addict, and I mean that in the fan fiction <laughs> sense, not that they were doing drugs. And every time their turn came around, the story would completely derail. And then you'd have three people, you know, four people trying, I think it was five people in the round robin, you'd have four or five people trying to get the story back on track and come to that person's turn again. And, you know, they'd be, you know, for instance, like Harry Potter would be taking off from Mars. And it's like, what the fuck? And if you're not, you know, if you're not going in the same direction, it's just going to be a frustrating experience unless you agree up at the front that there's going to be, weird suggestions, weird things that just suddenly appear in the story. You know, everybody's hair is going to magically turn green all of a sudden for no reason. Um, everyone's going to suddenly epiphany. ascend. Yeah, everybody ascends. Rocks fall, everybody ascends. I had an epiphany over the summer about um, pantsing um, and what I thought was pantsing and what everybody else thought was pantsing. Because when I went to start Revenant, um, I don't pants. Now, I did... I did <laughs> what I did to prepare for Revenant is that I did my character profiles, I did my research, um, I did some world building, but I didn't actually write my plot. There was, there was... I didn't make any plot choices, so I thought that was pantsing. That's pantsing for me. But apparently, pantsing for other people, and this is horrific, you guys, hold on, just just take a deep breath, take a really deep breath, these bitches sit down at the computer not knowing what's going to happen and start writing. I just die on the inside saying it. <laughs> A teeny tiny part of me died just now. I, I've done on the that. Air. But I've done that thing once that you just said once in my life, um, and it was the most out of control story I ever had. It suffered so badly from and then. I didn't think I was ever going to find a way to end it. But this story is never going to end. <laughs> I don't know how to get to the end because there, there was no plan. I've never gone into, even when I decide that I'm going to just sit down and write, I still have an idea of the plot arc. And that's that's that would be my definition of pantsing is all I've got is a plot arc. So I have um, that old Black Magic um, and the Birth of Serpent King, which are both essentially pants um, for me. But as pants as they were, they weren't pants the way Lady Holder does it. No, no. She's a, she's a diehard panther. She's committed. I mean. <laughs> It well, and what's the birth of the serpent king? Really, she's I really thought, good at it okay, because she gets, I had to, she gets to the story. 
I had this overall arc um, in my brain before I ever started writing. Okay, this is what's going to happen. This is what this is about. This is his birth as the Serpent King. This is his first form. Um, although it's not particularly clear in the story because it is just part two, part one of a of, of a series. Um, the birth of the Serpent King is about Harry finding um, the inner serpent in him, and his first form is not his final. It's not even his... I mean, it's there's going to be several. So he's he's progressing, and that was just his birth as the Serpent King um, and his in his embracing of parcel magic. Um, and so I had the arc for three books in my brain before I ever started writing the first book. So while, yes, it's pants in that I didn't actually write the plot down, I knew what was going to happen before I started writing. So I don't think I've genuinely ever pants anything, and that was my epiphany this summer. I'm going to have to retitle this podcast. Because <laughs> <laughs> we did not discuss what we were fit to discuss. No, we did not. Well, I mean, some people, some people who pant can pant, start with an idea, and wrap it up in 20,000 words. They're very, I would call it like a very focused pantser. They don't go off on tangents. Um, but they are diehard pantsers. They don't really have a clue where they're going. They just, they just sit down and go, okay, I'm going to go, but I'm going to go in one direction until I get there. But I would say more pantsers, most more pantsers are people who um, don't go in one direction. They they veer and take side trips and you know pick up aliens and take off for Mars. And you're like, but this is a Harry Potter story. <laughs> what are you doing? And you don't know. Why are we on Mars? What happened? <laughs> Why is Harry on Mars again? It was the other way to defeat Voldemort. Okay. Um, and that's you know, and, and then often the kind of panther just doesn't ever find the end of their story. So, um, which is fine. I mean, if they're happy on that journey, people are happy to meander. I like to get to the end. I like to find an end to my journey. It's sort of like you know, my mother and my sister used to travel a lot, and I had to stop traveling with them because it drove me batshit insane. I would want to plan a trip. I would want to know where I was staying and make hotel reservations. They would get oh, the me car too. They get in the car for a two-week trip and have no fucking clue where they were going, where they were going to stay. I mean, I will, well, what, the first time I tried this with them, I was like, I am so stressed out. I'm so stressed. What do you mean we don't know where we're going? Where are we staying tonight? Oh, we don't know. Which direction are you going to go? We haven't decided yet. <laughs> you're sitting in the car with a car back, and you haven't decided if you're going north or south at this point? What is the matter with you? They pant a two-week trip across the country, and I was like, <laughs> "I can't do that." I had I couldn't travel with them. On I'm itching. Trip. I'm I'm itching. I don't understand. <laughs> and so you know what the result was, and they didn't mind. They didn't mind that sometimes they couldn't get a hotel room. I'm like, oh, uh, <laughs> 
well, we don't have a hotel room tonight. We're going to catch a few hours of sleep at a, a rest stop. We'll, we'll, you know, I'm be like, I can't deal with this. I can't deal with this. Just stop talking to me. But let me know you're safe, but stop talking to me. <laughs> I can't deal with it either. Mm-mm. I can't pants my travel, and I can't pants my story. Okay, so I renamed this um, particular podcast Writing and Inspiration, and I created a new podcast for tomorrow with tonight's topic, so hopefully I'll manage to accomplish that tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see how it looks. Um, But, you know, uh, so I'm not telling you not to write with a partner. I think sometimes um, writing partnerships create some amazing things, but I don't think it's healthy for you to write with someone whose style doesn't mesh with your own. And I don't just mean their writing voice. I mean the writing voice is important because there are some writing voices that have no business being together. One thing that I, I discovered about me and Lady Holder is that our voices blend very well. When you read Dangerous and Beautiful Things, it's difficult to see where I stopped writing and she started. And sometimes it was mid-paragraph. If I inserted a sentence into here and there, It the it's really meshed well our voices really meshed well um and she uh uh she's a softer tone than me so it kind of um goes sharp a little bit because I do have a harder voice but it works really well so for the voice part it was spot on um it was our process part yeah I'll be her alpha and her beta (laughs) Reader, be inserting shit in. So <laughs> after the fact, that way it won't be so stressful. <laughs> She'll get back something. There'll be like five thousand changes. Sorry. <laughs> I'm kidding. There won't. There won't be five thousand changes. Um, but uh, it. But our process didn't mesh, and so it's. Important when you're looking at a writing partner to find um, um, a good voice mesh, a good process mesh, and a good personality mesh um, so that you don't end up uh, arguing or creating something really terrible. Yeah. I mean, I had the the author that I wrote the best with, and our writing together, our, our voice was completely seamless. And when we were doing the edit, because the way we would edit is we would get together and edit together. And um, I, at one, I remember one time I, um, I commented on this line of dialogue. I said, that's a really beautiful piece of writing. And she looked at me funny, and she said, oh, I'm glad you think so highly of yourself. And I said, I didn't write that. You did. She said, no, you wrote that. I said, no, I didn't. You did. <laughs> and we argued for 10 <laughs> minutes over who wrote this section because we, I couldn't tell. <laughs> I couldn't tell who wrote it. We wrote it. It was beautiful. <laughs> Move on. <laughs> uh. 
Yeah, I agree. Compatibility is important, and also level of commitment to the story is very important. Because if one people get resentful if one person's carrying three quarters of the load of the writing, and you start to get annoyed. Um, and so you just got to define that stuff up front. Um, I knew um, a professional writing team got got twenty years ago. Um, they got a contract for um, four or five books. Um, and around the fifth book, I'll say partner A, um, was kind of tired of writing. And she saw the, the, the particular set of books. And so she kept putting it off and putting it off and they're getting closer to the deadline. So partner B keeps writing because the deadline is coming up and they've already taken the money, right? And so by the end of it, partner B had written the entire fifth book by herself. Because partner A refused basically to, to I mean she had all kinds of proof right of her I don't have time um you do this scene I'll write the next scene I don't have time to do this I don't have time I don't have time so in the end she wrote the whole book by herself but when it came time for it to be submitted to the publisher partner B refused to put partner A's name on it mm. and um which put partner A in violation of her contract with the publisher because she was contracted to write all five books with Partner B. She now owes the publishing house $5,000 for the um, advance on a book that she's not going to be an author of. It destroyed their writing partnership... There were lawyers involved. Partner A got sued by the publisher for $5,000. She ended up paying close to fifty with lawyer fees and all that stuff because she was at fault. And um, she CC'd her their, they had the same agent. She CC'd their agent on all of the correspondence. So she couldn't even say she didn't she had no leg to stand on and still tried to fight and say she wrote part of the book when she didn't. This was in wow. the... Not 20 years ago. It was in the late 90s. So um, there was an email trail. Um, and they were ago. using floppy disks. Yeah, floppy disks back and forth. Um and so they could even prove that the floppy disk the book was on had never been in her computer. She yeah. hadn't even been reading what her writing partner was sending, was giving her. She'd never even opened the documents. So she just totally flaked on the whole thing. Well, flaked the might whole not be the right thing, word. And, and then tried to deny it. Um, it ended up paying 50k and and legal fees and all that stuff. Um, yeah, it was terrible. And to and to this day, they don't speak. Wow. But I remember there was a a romance writing duo that were married. I'm sure there were a lot of romance writing duos that were married. And I often wondered how does that go when you're married and you have to put up with each other 24/7, and you're writing together. And that would be so weird to me. 
My husband's very I really, liberal. I really, I really can't envision Lady Holder and her husband riding together. I could. It sounds terribly fun. <laughs> I, don't know, I, don't they, I don't know what they would produce. <laughs> I have no idea what would come out of that conversation, but it would be funny as hell to listen to. That's probably um, true. Uh, They'd probably have to write gaming fandom or something. <laughs> my husband's actually very good for um, bouncing ideas off because he's very literal. Um, and you've told me before that um, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a consequences writer. Well, my husband takes that consequences thing to 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 Mars and back. Oh dear. Oh dear. Yes, you're absolutely. It's just it, he just. His di- his disbelief spends a great deal of time on the floor. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Just, uh, <laughs> but um, once I wrote a book and I <laughs> I said I need to put my people on um, a planet and I need to have this many hours in a day and the year needs to be this long and I need to know how well, what the size of the planet is and he goes okay. And he walks away. A week later, <laughs> he comes to me and spreads this whole big thing out on my desk. And he has he has built a solar system. And he has put this um, gas giant in what would be considered the life zone. And I said, they can't live on a gas giant. And he says, no, they're going to live on the moon that's circling this gas giant. I said, really? And he goes, yeah, really. <laughs> it was just, he has this whole thing, and it was it was great. I used it. That's really cool. Gas giant and all. Yeah. He actually based it on a real solar system. Data? Spe- speculation? So, yeah. I am. It's it's really helpful when you have somebody who you can bounce ideas off of. Sometimes even it it, it is. I prefer. I definitely like love bouncing ideas off of writers. But sometimes there are people who have areas of expertise or interest that it is great to bounce ideas off of them to a point because they can get a little bit too. That's not possible, or it wouldn't work that way. And it's like, I, I gotta give me some creative license. Like, there's no creative license in this area. It's like, I have a friend who used to be a police officer, and I would ask her questions about law enforcement procedure and stuff. And I get to the point, I'd be like, well, okay, well, I think I'll you know shave that off. You, you can't. I'm like, I'm just gonna adjust it a little bit. You can't. And I'm like, oh, you're driving me crazy. <laughs> I'm now, not. When I it. was, um, <laughs> did I give him credit? Um, I dedicated the book to him, but I did not give him credit by name because um, I don't use my own name for publication, so I wouldn't put his in a book. Um, uh, when I was doing synthetic, he is the one that convinced me that I should take them out of the solar system um, and into you know towards the planet that I chose because I was originally going to put them on Mars. And he said that um, that he thought that Mars was too close um, because if people on Earth had the technology um, to create robots, then they could create a situation, they could actually send, um, they could destroy a colony on Mars pretty easily just based on the technology that I'd already given them and that my, um, that my synthetics wouldn't be safe. Uh, 
and he really played that out for me how that would work and how easy it would be for them to literally destroy my little colony from Earth if with the technology that I had given them to make it possible for the synthetics to leave Earth <laughs> and for the synthetics to exist at all. Just based on the technology that I'd already built into my world, it made the zealots left on Earth a really dangerous element and Mars wasn't going to be safe. And he said that I had to put my synthetics out of the grasp of humanity. That um, what we had uh, done, um, that synthetics had to be so far beyond the reach of humans that, you know, traveling towards wherever they are would be impossible. It would be the work of generations. And that's why we ended up picking the planet that we that we picked. And it worked beautifully. What makes you think he doesn't, Demad? There's a that so, consequences but, thing that, that is such a suspension of we've talked about suspension of disbelief a lot is that when you don't think through the consequences of what how you're changing when you change sometimes the tiniest thing has widespread impact on the world on, on how, how society develops and it should and so when you're reading something that has had an element change. Um, and there's no impact on the way the world is. It, it's a direct parallel. The world is the world is a parallel um, to what we know to to reality. It is so jarringly odd that all you can do is almost head tilt out of your chair. Um, and it's just it's important to double check these ideas against, a, a, and not somebody who's just going to agree with you, because that's not helpful. <laughs> Which is why a lot of times just getting help from readers who don't, who you haven't built a relationship with, um, that you know, can give pushback on ideas isn't, isn't good. Because if they're just going to agree with you, um, that's just reflecting your own ideas back at you. Because there have been times I have been talked out of ideas, not talked out, not they didn't talk me out. I talked myself out of it once somebody else um, gave me a reality check about something that I wanted to do. And sometimes there's a little bit of a sadness because you lose that initial thing, that in- initial spark of creativity. That literal piece is gone, but the thing you wind up with is better because it's actually something you can execute in a, in a, in a way that doesn't challenge people's ability to suspend their disbelief. The most fascinating experience I ever had with a, with a writer um, wanting to write something that was completely um, <laughs> um, um, out of um, their 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 scope was there was this lady um, and um, at the time I belonged to a 
subgroup of, you know, I, I belong to a chapter of the Romance Writers of America. Mm-hmm. And I'm in this chapter meeting, and um, I was one of the few writers in the um, group that was published. I was also one of the few writers in the group that wrote Explicit Sex. And um, so she approached me with this idea, and she plotted it all out, and she, she asked me if I would look at it. And um, I'm reading it, and I'm trying so hard to keep the judgment off my face. But I'm Southern. That's, you know, I'm Southern. <laughs> it's easy. <laughs> so I get finished, and I was like, um, I didn't get this from your plot document, but are they aliens? And she was like, no. I said, are you sure? <laughs> I'm trying so hard, right? And she was like, no, they're not aliens. This is a contemporary romance. It was a contemporary gay romance. And I was like, honey, you're married, right? Um, and she was like, yeah. I said, um... I don't know how to ask this without getting really explicit with you, so I'm just going to go ahead and do it. And I can hear, and people around us are stop talking. They they've stopped and they're and they're listening. And I was like, um, I said I'm married, and I'm familiar with my husband's body. Are you familiar with your husband's body? Do you see, do you think you know it pretty well? And she was like, yes. And I was like, when he gets aroused, does his asshole self lubricate? Because <laughs> mine doesn't. And she said, no, but my characters are gay. And I was like, what the fuck does that have to do with it? And she was like, well, gay men, no, honey. That's not how that works. They're They're not not biologically different. Oh, my God. They're not a different species. They're not a a separate fucking species. And I was like, um, and she was like, really? And I'm like, oh, honey, does your ass lubricate? They're they're humans. That's why I thought maybe if they were aliens, that would explain it. I'm like, you need to you need to you need to play up the alien line so it's not quite so strange that they are juicing back there. <laughs> they're strange. Oh. And this was before I ever saw an ABO fic or. Um, self-lubricating guides in the Sentinel fandom. It was before all of this. This was like, a, this was like, I don't know, 25 years ago. Um, and I was like, dude, no, that that's not how this works. Because I haven't been a part of RWA in 20 years, so it had to be at least 25 years ago. And I was like, that's that's just that's just not how that works. And <laughs> this one lady got really tickled. She said, I'm gonna go call my husband and ask him. I said. Oh. Really though, she did. She called him and asked him. Okay, he said no. <laughs> That's not how that works. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> Gay men are not actually a separate species. <sighs> I I have seen you a think you should where, have, have that um, conversation. You could, you could tell that the author was not only female but also a virgin and had probably never actually seen a dick um, because she had one dick going into another. 
<laughs> That's worse. Now, now, there is a thing called docking that you can do with a foreskin um, that puts the two penises together at the head, and you wrap the foreskin or tuck the foreskin over the other man's penis, and it's called docking, right? Mm-hmm. Isn't that um, and you can masturbate that way um, with a man who has a with two men if one of them has a foreskin, or maybe even if they both have a foreskin, it might be better. I don't know. Um, but that's sufficient. That's sufficient. Um, you you can't put one penis in an in another. In another. That's that's. One <laughs> I'm sorry, story. Sarah. <laughs> Spare drink everywhere. <laughs> That's the story. I, that's where's the story I was reading where two, there was it was double it was a double penetration story, and there's like there's pretty much only one way double penetration occurs, um, where you're talking two people in the same orifice, right? Ass, v- vagina. You can't do it the mouth, folks. But anyway, there's only there's only one position where that works, and um, it is not the two people doing the fucking standing side by side. Okay, it's just. <laughs> It just doesn't work that way. You cannot put two men standing side by side, have, unless they've got, you know, like literally two foot long dicks. And then maybe you might get a little bit of both of them in there. But I'm reading it and I'm going, and, and the author is so specific about the, the, the um, so specific about the, the positioning that these two guys are standing side by side fucking somebody. And I was like, in the ass. And I was like, <laughs> Yeah. What? How does that work? And this is why it's like if you, if you haven't done it personally, you better go watch some porn. Watch some porn. It's not like it's hard there's to find. There's plenty of porn on that, especially on that subject. For real. But it's like you know when you talk about. <laughs> yeah. Um. It, unless you're Only talking about. Only has an apple about, with a five-gallon bucket. <laughs> but even then, you just can't. The dicks aren't going to be long enough. Um, but I mean, unless you're talking about Siamese twins, um, fucking have the shared dick, that could work. But that wasn't what was going on. Okay, it was distinctly separate people, um, side by side, both of them penetrating the same person in the same orifice. It was just. Uh, even if it was separate orifice, even if it was a woman and one was going in the vagina and one was going in her ass, they can't do it side by side. It just doesn't work that I way. I don't just recommend like... Dr. Ruth at all for, for a sex talk. What's that woman that used to be in Canada? Sue? Dr. Ruth, as she got older, has some really fucked up ideas about gender roles and... um um um. She she got uncool real quick as she got old. I'm not sure if it was dementia or, uh, but Doctor Sue is actually a much better um, um, person to recommend to somebody for sex education. Um, one of my favorite talks from her is that this um, person called in and asked if it was okay if her husband came in her ear, and she was like. It's unusual. <laughs> it's you can see her face. Your, she was like better than your like eyes. You could just you could just 
hear it in her in her brain over and over again, where she's just thinking to herself, "Don't kink shame, don't kink shame, don't kink shame." <laughs> you can just see it rolling over in her brain, and but she was like, "But perhaps it's not the most healthy choice you could make." <laughs> Because immediately I'm going to go, what is his fixation with her ear? I mean, that's just where my brain goes. Why is he fixated? It's like, couldn't he come on your feet instead? Because <laughs> suddenly that's more normal. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's like, I miss the good old days when the guy just wanted to come on your tits. <laughs> I don't either. I could stand. I can't stand water in my ears. I. I, I don't think it went wrong at all. I think he did exactly what he wanted to do. Well, especially and probably more than once, if she was calling to ask if it was okay. I, I have a cousin whose husband kept missing. Missing? Missing what? Missing her vagina and hitting her anus. Oh, and I'm that like, missing. dude, he's not, that, that's not an accident. No. He's not slipping. He's making a choice. And moreover, he's making a choice where he's deciding to enter your unlubricated anus. And my mom was like, can we discuss something else? And I'm like, no, we can't. This is terrible. So you need to tell him up front that if you're okay with that, then you need there needs to be lubrication. But if you're not okay with that, next time he has a slip, punch him in the throat. <laughs> her, her method is go, she she plugs herself before sex, and he's like, "What the hell?" He's like, "Just making sure that you don't have an avenue to miss again. <laughs> There's something else already there." I took Make care it bright of that red. For you. With with a with a, a with a hexagon shaped base, make or an octagon shaped base. Like just making sure you know what's off limits, honey. <laughs> a little steel ball, so when he slips, it hurts. Oh yeah, I mean, I had a I had a friend who claimed that you know that her boyfriend had missed. The problem wasn't that the, she claimed the miss; it's that she claimed that she enjoyed the experience. <laughs> I was like, what? And then, of course, my follow-on question was, like, how small is he? Really? I was thinking the same exact thing. I was like, can I ask that question? <laughs> well, I did. She wasn't happy with me, but I did, because I couldn't help it. I mean, I was I was like, she was just, for sure, just came out of the blue. And she just lays this on me one day over, well, I think it was lunch. It might have even been breakfast. It's like I think this, she was lying I, and testing the waters. Well, I guess. And that she probably agreed to the anal sex, and there was lube involved, and she enjoyed it. And she was trying to make it seem like an accident. So if you judged her for it, um, she could claim that it wasn't her idea. Well, she had. we had had this weird thing about there were, like, a group of, like, five or six of us who got together on a regular basis. And it was just this quirky thing that, you know, at one point in time, anal sex came up. And of the five people sitting at the table, four of them had anal sex on a regular basis and enjoyed it. And she was the one person who's sitting at the table going, I would never do that. And so the rest of us sit at the table, and we would have this discussion about how fun anal sex could be. And, you know, 
what guys don't get or what they do get or blah blah blah. So so she I think I don't know what it was, but so she's like I would never do that. I would never do that. I would never do that. And then out of the blue one day we're sitting there. It's just her and I, and I hear, I tried backdoor sex last night. I was like, you tried what what? <laughs> and she said, it was, what? It was an, she said it was an accident. And I said, what do you mean it was an accident? And she's like, well he missed. And I was like, I was like, okay, are you all right? She goes, oh it was great. And I was like, what what? And then the fr- next thing out of my mouth was, just how small is he? <laughs> just how little is his penis? Yeah, so it was a very strange, it was a very strange accidental anal sex. Was... But yeah, I agree with you that she probably did did agree to it and really had a good time and um, didn't and wanted to seem like it had been an accident that because she'd been so staunchly against it. That right. I guess it was better in her mind to have discovered it to 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 like it by accident rather than to seek it out. I don't know. It was very strange. Now, the, the thing is, is um, there can be genuine slippage. Yes, it happens. Can. But I have never met a man who slipped and didn't know where his dig landed. And so if he slips and he keeps moving forward, you've got a problem. You've got someone who doesn't respect you trying to right, put so their dick in Right, so once you get down you. off the ceiling, have a chat. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's just not somebody somebody gets to spring on you. And it's painful. It can be really painful. I mean, even yes. a slip, if you're really vigorous, can get, whoa, whoa, dude. <laughs> Well, because you're all, I mean, if you're really if you're really enjoying what's going on, you know, you might be clenched up. Those muscles are not exactly yeah. in 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 a receptive mode, and it's like ah, and you're climbing your headboard. <laughs> yeah, because when I'm on the verge of an orgasm, my whole body gets all kind of tense and shit. My toes uh-huh. curl up, and all my muscles tighten. Um, speaking of, oh my god, this is is really funny um i had a doctor's appointment with my husband and um the doctor mentioned kegel exercises is that you said that kegel 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 yeah you know when you tweeze your muscle kegel um and my husband says what's a kegel muscle exercise and i'm like you know that thing i do when i squeeze and he went oh that thing and his eyes practically glazed over right there in the doctor's office, and she went, yeah, that thing. <laughs> That's the thing. <laughs> that thing. Because I can do that during sex, repeatedly. The squeeze. That takes practice, buddy. In, in some situations, I could actually work myself into an orgasm with just Kegel exercises, if I'm you know, full. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I have a cousin who really, really, really prefers anal sex to vaginal sex because of the positioning of her G-spot. Because she gets better stimulation on her G-spot anally than she does vaginally. That's interesting. 
I think it boils down more to the position that they get into for anal sex than the anal sex itself. Because she told me that the only time they do it from behind is anal sex. Because when he gets back there, that's all he sees and that's all he wants. (laughs) (laughs) You know, yeah, I guess that is a little bit like, you know... I mean, I I definitely think that uh, vaginal sex is better from behind. Almost the worst position for me personally is is you know lying on your back, Miss Standard Missionary position. Because it's, it's almost the worst. It's 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 such a position of no power. Um, and if, and if I can't move, I'm not gonna have a good time. I named it. Fandom and John writing an inspiration. <laughs> and we're in the inspiration part of that discussion. Maybe. <laughs> Shit happens. Which is something you should never say in an anal sex discussion. <laughs> Ever. Ever. It's like it's like my my top advice for writing sex scenes, bizarrely, is to take shit as an, as as an expletive out of your vocabulary during sex scenes, because it is so hysterically awful when you're reading a story and the character is really in it. They're you know they're being fucked and. They're being fucked in the ass, and they're going, oh, my God, I'm going to, I'm going to, ellipsis, shit, exclamation point. No. <laughs> and all that you're totally, totally, has no place you're totally thrown out of it, but you can't take anything after that point, seriously. And, you know, I mean, it's just a simple change of the word shit to fuck, and everything is great. But just do not use the word shit as an expletive in sex scenes. It is just so does not belong there. Because you're going to put it in the wrong place, it's going to be awful. <laughs> there is no right place in a sex scene to put the word shit. Let's no, establish that right now. Say, say damn, say fuck, say oh my god, whatever, whatever, whatever deity you want to invoke, it doesn't matter. Just take anything shit related out of your vocabulary <laughs> in the sex scene. Because I've more than once seen, more than once seen a story that had. I'm going to ellipsis shit. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> <sighs> that's just deeply unfortunate. There is like, really, that's like really, a fresh it is unfortunate. You should go, you should go put that on the daily something right now. <laughs> <laughs> Don't use the word shit during an explicit sex scene ever, ever. No matter what kind of penetration is going on, don't use the word shit. But that could be our bias because there are some people who really enjoy that kind of thing in their kinky ass shit. (laughs) You don't want people reading your story for that. (laughs) (sighs) I actually had a man in a writing group once ask me to read um, his his story, and I was... um, 20-ish, 23 maybe. It's one of my first writing groups after college. And um, 
he hands it to me, and before I could even open the little folder it was in, the person running the writing group rushed over the table and snatched it out of my hand. And he was like, do not share your nasty-ass porn with this young woman. And he handed it back to the man. I said, I write porn. He said, honey, you write erotica. You don't write porn. And there is a big difference. Don't read his work. And I'm like, well, what's in the folder? I got really super curious. Scat play was in the folder. Oh, dear. Don't Google that shit. Literally. That was was pun intended. What is that? I had I had no idea what a golden shower was at that point in my life. I'd never heard of scat play. I got a thorough education um, that evening, and I'm like, no, I can't read your work. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I I think I was 18 when I got I because I, I was reading um, um, erotica anthologies, and I got I would say porn anthology, and I I didn't understand the distinction until this guy's peeing in a wine glass, and I'm trying to figure out why <laughs> could he not get to the bathroom oh, in time. Don't say it. Don't say it. I, I won't say it. You guys can oh. just extrapolate where that went. But I'm reading along and I was like, oh, oh, oh. oh God, well, that's no, what he's doing no. with it. Why would anybody write that? Why would anybody do that? I don't understand. <laughs> what book did I get? It was, a, it, was a, it was a crazy moment. I remember reading a book um, called The Female Orgasm, and um, there were sexual fantasies in the book that women, that real women had, had um, um, and sexual experiences. Um, and one of them, and it stuck out in my brain, is a woman who liked to pee outside. That was her sexual fantasy. I, it just stuck in my brain for three decades. So on that particularly weird-ass note... I bet you to get out more in so many ways. (laughs) But keep your pants on. (laughs) And I mean that in the most British way possible. Keep your pants on. I guess the lady of the ear advice can be grateful that um, her husband didn't want to pee in her ear. I mean, who knew there was a silver lining? (laughs) Silver lining. Say good night. (laughs) Good night, everyone.